So we are in this sermon series called The Way, and we're looking at the early church when it first started. And before uh, followers of Jesus were called Christian, before they were called the church, they were called The Way. Because Jesus said that I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus says, I'm the way to God. I'm the way to living a life that is full. I'm a way to living a life that is eternal. And so the early followers of Jesus were known as the way. And we've been in the book of Acts in the New Testament, reading all about the early church and seeing how God was alive and working among them and seeing how that translates to us today in the 21st century. And we've seen a lot of parallels. And so we're going to continue down that track. Again, happy Father's Day to all the dads and the grandfathers uh, and to the father-like figures in our lives. We are very grateful to you and uh, just we celebrate you uh, today. And I know that sometimes too also Father's Day can be difficult for us because uh, maybe our father or grandfather has died recently or a long time ago and we miss them or we'd like to be a father. We're not able to be a father or we might not have a great relationship with our dad. And so if today's a sad day for you, that's okay. Uh, and I would just direct you to uh, God, the Heavenly Father, right? God's bigger than man, bigger than woman, better male and female, but God is a perfect parent. And the Bible talks about God as Father. And so if today's a hard day for you, I would, I'd ask you to lean into uh, God as Heavenly Father. Uh, but it's also, also great to be happy today for those of us who have dads and grandfathers and children. And so uh, we celebrate with you today. And as a dad, I've been having a really cool time uh, with my boys recently. We've started going through the movies about Rocky Balboa, the boxer. Maybe you've seen some of those. Uh, they're a little dated, but uh, they're classics. And uh, I, I grew up watching them as they came out, right? So that dates me a little bit as well. But for Luke and Nathan, my boys, it's the first time that they've seen the Rocky movies. And so we've got all the way through Rocky IV. We just recently watched Rocky IV. There's a picture of uh, part of that. So Rocky, if you don't know anything about this, is a, he's a boxer, a heavyweight boxer. And by the time you get to Rocky IV, he's retired. Uh, and one of his friends uh, is another boxer, a guy named Apollo Creed. And he has a, uh, kind of a, a celebrity boxing match with a guy from the Soviet Union. This took place in the 1980s when we were still in the midst of the Cold War, where America and the Soviet Union uh, were not on great terms. We're not on the best terms now, but uh, back then it was known as the Cold War. And so uh, this guy, this Russian, this guy from the Soviet Union comes to America, and he's in this boxing uh, match, supposed to be just for fun with Rocky's friend. Uh, and the Soviet guy ends up killing him in the ring. And so Rocky's going to take it upon himself to then fight the guy uh, kind of as a revenge thing, and it's going to be set in the Soviet Union. And so uh, there's this iconic scene where Rocky's with his wife before he goes over to the Soviet Union, and she's pleading with him not to fight. She's like, you're retired. He just killed your friend. Why are you doing this? And she's like screaming her lungs out. And he says, I'm doing it because you married a fighter. And we don't change. And that's who I am. And I feel that I have to go and do this. And she's like, you need to change. Right? And one of, the, one of the bigger themes in this movie that I'd really kind of forgotten about until I just more recently watched it was the concept of change. Can people change? And on a bigger scale, it was, can nations change? Can America change? Can the Soviet Union change? Because there were times in that Cold War that we almost went to nuclear war, and like we were all living in fear that we would blow the planet up. And so at the end of the movie, there's this, this like 
statement about change, right? Can we change? Can governments change? Can people who were stubborn change? And, and that's something I want to wrestle with today in our lives. Is there someone in your life that might be difficult or you have a hard time dealing with or you're praying for something better to happen in their life for them to have a happier existence, right? Can, can the people in our lives change for the better, right? Maybe it's a boss, maybe it's a colleague, maybe it's a neighbor, maybe it's a family member, maybe it's a friend, or maybe it's you, right? maybe it's me. Maybe there's something broken in our lives that needs to change, but we just don't think that it's possible. In your life today, are there people including you, who might need to make a change but just think that it's impossible. We're set in our ways. We are who we are. We're going to wrestle with that today, just as Rocky Balboa wrestled with that uh, in this series of movies. And we're going to go to the Bible in the book of Acts, right, where we're looking at the way, and we're going to meet somebody that you never would have thought would change. His name was Saul, and he was a Jewish leader uh, in the first century. Remember, Jesus was Jewish and the disciples were Jewish, the people of Israel were Jewish, and this guy named Saul was a very devout Jewish person. He was a religious leader. He was a, he was a Pharisee. That was the group of leaders that he was with, and when the Jesus movement started, it came out of Judaism, and it went a way that was a little bit different from where it came. It was still connected, and so Saul didn't like that. He thought the Jesus movement, the way, was blasphemous. It was taking the right religion and corrupting it. And so Saul said, we can't be doing that. I'm going to do something about that. And so he began to persecute the way. He would have people arrested who were in the way, and that would lead to some of their deaths, executions. All right? And so Saul was adamant that the way was the wrong diversion from the right religion. And so we're going to see... Saul's story today. It's actually recorded in three different places in the book of Acts, which means that the author of Acts, a guy named Luke, thought it was very important to talk about. Okay, so let's see Saul's story today. We're going to spend some time uh, in the ninth chapter of Acts looking at the story of Saul and just keep in the back of your mind, can I change? Can people who are around me change? Is that a, possible, a possibility? So let's go to the scripture today. We're going to be starting with Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 2. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He was seeing the disciples killed. Right? This is a serious guy. He went to the high priest and he asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus. Right? So the high priest is like the religious leader of the Jewish faith. Uh, and if you lived outside of Jerusalem, outside of Israel, there was a place in each city called, a, most cities called a, a synagogue where the Jewish people hung out. So this is in Damascus, which is in Syria, which is to the north of Israel. So that if he found anyone there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Right? So Paul is vehemently persecuting the church. Right? He, he grew up as this, this Jewish religious man, and his, his teacher Gamaliel was a gentle man who wasn't much into like, persecuting things like this, but Paul's taking it to a new level. He's like, this is wrong, this is blasphemous, and we're going to shut it down. Right? And Paul was a Pharisee, and the high priest was a Sadducee, two different types of leadership, right? and they didn't get along with each other. So Paul had to kind of go to his enemy to say, can you help me? fight against my other enemies, the people of the way, right? So Paul was adamant, this is wrong, 
right? And there was a, a follower of the way named Stephen who stood up for the way, and he was executed, right? He was the first Christian who was martyred, who was killed. They stoned him to death, put him against the wall, threw rocks at him till he died because he believed that the new way had come and the old way needed to be let go. And Saul said, no, the old way is right, the new way is wrong, and I'm going to make sure that it doesn't happen. And so he's conspiring with his own enemies against his other enemies, right? The enemy of my enemy is my friend, to take out the followers of Jesus, have them arrested and killed. People feared Saul. He was a bad guy to those who were in the way. Let's keep going. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. This was about noon, right, from some other writings that, that we see later. And he fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. All right, so Saul's going to Damascus. He's going to arrest followers of Jesus, followers of the way. And on that day about noon, right, this bright light came out, which had to be bright, right, at noon. Uh, and the, out in the desert, right, the sun is bright. So for something to block out the sun to be bright, that had to have been something pretty powerful. Here's this voice, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And Saul realizes this is more than just an average conversation, right? The lights are shining. You're hearing this loud voice. And so he humbly says, well, who are you, Lord? Who he uses the word Lord? That's probably a pretty good word to use. And the voice says, it's me. It's Jesus. Right? So as Saul was persecuting the church, Jesus was feeling the pain, right? Because the way the church, Christianity, is the body of Jesus in the world, right? Jesus died, he came back to life, he ascended into heaven, and now the church, the way, the followers of Christ, we are Jesus' body in the world, and Jesus felt the pain because Saul was persecuting them, All right? So let's see what happens. All right, now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do, All right? Jesus has a plan for Saul. He's going to commission him to do something for him. God's going to put Saul to work. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they did not see anyone, right? So this is not Saul having a hallucination, right? The people who are with him, they're seeing the light. They're hearing the sound. They don't see who the guy is that's talking. But Saul is not just having some kind of unique individual hallucination. Everybody else is seeing what's going on here, right? So let's keep going. So Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. Right, so Saul is now physically blind, even as he was spiritually blind. All right, do you see that? All right, so they led him by the hand into Damascus. And for three days he was blind, and he did not eat or drink anything. All right, so Saul is now physically blind, even as he was spiritually blind to the truth that Jesus is the way. And it's interesting, though, that he now responds by fasting, for three days and for three nights. He doesn't eat anything. He doesn't drink anything for three days. I don't think God ordered him to do that. He just did that. Right? When we see other people who fast for three days, like that's a serious fast, right? No eating, no drinking for three days. People in the Bible who did that were either repenting, which means to turn around, turn away from something, and turn to God, and or they were seeking the face of God themselves. Right? So Saul is taking this seriously. I heard this voice. I saw this light. I'm blind now. 
has told me to do something. I'm taking this seriously. I'm going to fast from food and water. I'm going to listen for this God to see what it is that I'm supposed to be doing. Let's go. So in Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. And the Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. And the Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. So God appears to a man named Ananias. He's a follower of the way. He says, I want you to go to Straight Street. I love that, Straight Street. We've got to get this Saul on the straight and narrow path, all right? I'm told that they still can identify where this generally is in Damascus. That's pretty neat. All these years later, they can identify where Straight Street was. And so I want you to go there. And this guy Saul from Tarsus, right? Tarsus was in what would be modern-day Turkey. That's where Saul was born. It's a, it was a cosmopolitan city of people from around the world, a lot of Greek and Roman culture, right? Saul ended up growing up in Jerusalem around the, the Jewish religion and faith, but he was born in a Gentile, non-Jewish city, a cosmopolitan city, so he has a unique background. And so God says to Ananias, I want you to go because I've given Saul a vision that you're going to go help restore his sight. Now, if you were Ananias and God was talking to you, that's probably a good thing. But he says, I want you to go to this killer's location and let him know that you're with me. Now, if you're Ananias, what are you going to say? Uh-uh. <laughs> I love you, God, but uh-uh. Are you crazy, right? So let's see what happens. All right. Lord Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. This is a bad guy. He's killing Christians or, or people of the way, right? And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. Do you know why he's in town? He's coming to get us. And you're sending me on a, on a platter, right? What's going on here, God? Right? Ananias like you and me, just being honest. Hey, Lord, I'm a little, it's a little sketchy, right? A little sus, a little sus, right? But the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. God's gonna use Saul. He's gonna use Saul to proclaim Jesus. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Let's leave that up for just a second. Do you remember... Uh, when Jesus came back to life and he went to his disciples at the first part of Acts, right before he went into heaven, and he said, I want you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and all the world, which basically means start locally and spread out, right, to the Gentiles. What does he say to Saul? He's going to be starting with the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel, right? So for Saul, his mission is going to be to the non-Jews, Right? Even as Peter and the other disciples, the other 11 disciples, right, their mission is to take the gospel to Israel. Right? And then he says, right, Saul, I need to show him how much he's going to suffer for me. Right? That can't be comfortable for Saul. Right? And we read that and we think, wow, okay, is this a punishment for Saul? Right? He was persecuting people of the way. He was imprisoning them. He was having them killed. Is this like a punishment for him? Right, is it kind of a justice? I'm not sure that it is. Because I think what's going on here is it reminds us that anybody who's in the way and follows Jesus, as great as that is, as awesome as it is, of all the things that we get to do that are great, 
when we are followers of Christ, it also involves suffering. And that's something that you don't hear a lot of people pitch, right? Hey, come join Jesus. You can suffer too, right? So that's not usually what we lead with, but it's, it's, it's part of it, right? Followers of the way, at some point we're going to suffer for our faith, right? Some people are killed for it. In America, it's more like we were made to feel uncomfortable, maybe at work or at school we might be ridiculed or, or, or something like that. But we follow a God who suffered. And if we follow God and expect to be like him, then part of our story as followers of Jesus is we have to anticipate we will suffer for our faith. Um, it's outweighed by the good and all the joy, but Saul's going to experience that. Just like you and I experience, when we truly follow Jesus, some things are hard. But God's with us, and we'll get through that. So let's keep going and see what happens. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. This is a faithful disciple of Jesus. You're sending me to this crazy guy. He could arrest and kill me. But God, I'm going to be faithful to you. Right? Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul. That had to be incredibly comforting to Saul. Right? They're not going to believe me. They're not going to trust me. They're going to think I'm a liar. Right? But this man is calling me his brother in Christ. That had to be so affirming and encouraging for Saul to hear. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. You're my brother, and the, and the Lord's going to give you the Holy Spirit in you. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Right? So Ananias is faithful. He calls Saul his brother. He says, you're going to be filled with the Spirit. He lays his hands on Saul. Whatever was on him falls off, and now Saul can see. He can see physically because I think he also now sees spiritually that this is really Jesus. Right? And Saul then is what? He's filled with the Spirit. He becomes baptized, right? It symbolizes dying to our old self and rising out of that water to new life in Christ. He ate some food and he regained his strength. And he's going to need it, right? He was converted. He was changed. And now he's going to be commissioned to go and preach Jesus to all kinds of people. And Ananias was faithful in his help of Saul. All right, let's keep going. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once, he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. Saul has surrendered to Christ. He's like, this is the real deal. I was wrong. I need to make a change. And he begins to do what God called him to do. He's doing exactly the opposite of what he was doing before. He was persecuting the way. Now he's preaching the way. Let's keep going. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. Right? Everybody else is just like Ananias. Who is this guy? Right? He's preaching about Jesus. He was trying to arrest people and throw them into prison and kill them before this. Like, that's like saying, right, Donald Trump has become a Democrat, right? Or Joe Biden has become a Republican, right? If, 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 if Trump went into the Democrats and said, I'm with you guys, or Biden went in with the, the Republicans and said, I'm with you, they'd be like, no, you're not, right? That's what's going on with Saul. 
Like, it's crazy that's not happening, right? Like, Dean Smith becomes the coach at Duke or Coach K becomes the, the coach at Carolina, right? This is not true. This is not happening. But Saul did it, and he effectively was winning people to Jesus. He was bearing fruit. This was a true conversion. It's not a trick. He was commissioned by God to speak Jesus. And he's the last person on the earth that anyone thought could do that. Last person on earth anybody thought could change. God changed him. God changed him. Let's keep going. After many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him. Right? Remember, there are other Jewish people who thought, like Saul, that the way is wrong. Right? So this guy has become a traitor to us. We're going to take him out. Right? Elsewhere in the scriptures, Saul said also it wasn't just the Jewish people in Damascus, but some of the Gentiles wanted to kill him. Right? So some of the Jews, some of the Arabs wanted to kill Saul. Everybody right, is, is wanting to kill him. He was the persecutor, now he's the persecuted. Right? But Saul learned of their plan. And day and night they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. That was one of my favorite stories as a kid growing up in Sunday school. Right? We'd read the story, we'd act it out, you get to be in the basket, not in the basket, we'd make the little crafts about it. Right? Paul was the persecutor, now he's the persecuted. Right? A lot of people want him dead. Right? A lot of people want him dead. Right? The, some of the Jewish people want him dead, some of the Gentile people want him dead, and they have to smuggle him out of the city because he's standing up for Jesus. Let's go to the next slide. When he came to Jerusalem... Right, so now he's come to Jerusalem where Peter and the other original like 10, 11, 12 disciples are. Like they're doing all the work in the book of Acts that we've seen. Right, he's coming to meet with them. Right, this is a big deal. But they were all afraid of him. Right, not believing that he really was the disciple. Right? This would be a great way for a spy to come and infiltrate us. He's going to pretend he's one of us. He's going to get around the leaders and then he's going to kill us all, arrest us all. Right? Again, there's this skepticism that Saul has not changed. Right? And these are the leaders of the church. These are the big, these are the big ones, right? right? But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. Barnabas is another disciple. And he told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. Barnabas, like Ananias, stands up for Saul. And he says to him, hey, I'm going to take you. He takes them to Peter and the other disciples. And he doesn't just take them, he tells them the story, right? He had talked to Saul. He knows the story. He shares the story. Barnabas is an encourager. We're going to see that Saul and, and Barnabas go all over the Mediterranean world and they start churches. And Saul's going to end up writing, you know, a lot of the New Testament. Barnabas, like Ananias, stood up for Saul when no one else could believe in him, right? Wouldn't you like someone to stand up for you when other people don't believe in you? Could you stand up for somebody else who no one else believes in? Maybe that's a way for change to happen. Who could you stand up for in your life? Let's keep going. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. Elsewhere, Saul says he spent 15 days with Peter, right? The number one disciple, the guy who was with Jesus the whole way. Right? And so Peter and the, and the disciples, their jobs to take the gospel to the Jewish people of Israel... Saul is going to be, he's going to change his name to Paul, right, to recognize his conversion. And he's going to go minister to people with Barnabas and other people, to people outside of Israel. He's going to write most of the New Testament. 
I would have loved to spend some time in that room, wouldn't you? Saul and Peter talking together, right? These icons of our faith. It would just been amazing to hear what their conversations were. He talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews. Those are Jews who lived outside of Israel, right, or from outside of Israel. They, they had like a Greek background. But they tried to kill him too, right? Everybody's trying to kill Saul, right? When the believers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So they're smuggling him out to his home where he was originally born, trying to get him out to be safe. Let's keep going with that. And then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. Right? We've talked about how exciting the early church was, how contagious it was, but we also now learn how dangerous it was still to be part of the way. Right? The people that killed Jesus, they're not excited about the church doing what it's doing. And it's an exciting time. It's a dangerous time right? They're in this period of peace. And still thousands of people are giving their life to Jesus, thousands of people, even though it involves suffering and danger. Right? This is life to the full. This is the way to God. We want to be a part of that. Right? So Saul becomes Paul. He was persecuting the church. Now he's the lead cheerleader for the church. He starts all these churches, spreads the way out over the Mediterranean world, writes most of the New Testament. And we see a man that has literally been changed by God. The last person in the world that you would think could do this is doing it because of the power of God. So Saul was converted, okay? So conversion means to turn around, right? Can we go to that next slide, right? To turn around is to, to convert, right? A couple of things about Saul's conversion that are different than most people's was one, it was triggered by post-resurrection appearance of Jesus. Not many of us come to Jesus because he appears to us in front of us on the road. Some of us do, right? But like this was a, this was a rare thing. And it was a sudden turnaround without evidence of already moving towards the way. Most people who come to faith in Jesus usually take baby steps, baby steps, baby steps. Like Saul was like, boom, like you had no idea he was going to take a step to Jesus, Right? But his conversion also has several things that are in common with probably all of our conversions. If we follow Jesus or we're thinking about following Jesus. So here's a few things that, that conversion involves, right? One, it's a result of the divine initiative, right? God comes to us first. God makes the first move, right? Jesus shows up and talks to, to Saul, right? In our own lives, right, God always makes the first move. Probably it's the Holy Spirit that is doing something inside of us that says there's something wrong in my life. There's something missing in my life. That's God making the first move. Sometimes it's my life is, is in the wrong direction. I need to make a change, right? That's the Holy Spirit. Or sometimes the Holy Spirit will send you uh, someone to talk about God or show you God or get you a Bible in your hand or get you into a worship service, right? God is the first mover. God comes to all of us first, right? It's God's initiative, which means that when we end up following Jesus, we end up doing great things for God. None of us has any reason to be arrogant because it's God who calls us. It's God who works in us, right? God is the primary mover. Right? Another thing about conversion, giving our lives to God, turning around, is it's a personal encounter with Christ. Saul had a personal encounter with Christ. To those of us who walk in the way, to those of us who are thinking about it, at some point, we all have a personal encounter with Jesus. And it's different for all of us, right? For some of us, it's a dramatic thing like Saul, 
right? He was blinded on the road. You know, you know, I've heard people who are like, you know, I almost, I had a drug overdose and I survived and I decided to give my life to Jesus. I was in prison and, you know, I just, I was convicted to give my life to Jesus. I also know people who've been members of church since they were little kids and, and they've always loved Jesus and they, and they can't say what day it was that I gave my life to Jesus, but I've given my life to Jesus, right? So for all of us, it's different, but it's a personal relationship with Christ. What does your personal relationship with Christ look like? How did Jesus get to you? What does that look like? If you're not there yet, it's okay. Keep your eyes open. Jesus is going to make the first move, and you're going to have your own individual relationship with Jesus. What does that look like in your life? Okay. Surrender to the Lordship of Christ. A lot of people say make a decision to follow Jesus, commit to follow Jesus. It's more than that. Saul absolutely sold out to Jesus. He surrendered to Jesus. He changed his entire life. He was absolutely against Christ. Now he's absolutely for Christ, right? We surrender to Jesus. We surrender to Jesus. Our time, our talents, our hearts, our brains, our money, we give everything to Christ, right? That's what it means to convert. It's like, it's not, I didn't just make a decision. I just didn't say, yeah, I'm going to go to church once a week or something, right? It's surrendering our whole life to Jesus. And that's what happens with Saul. The body of Christ plays an important role, right? By the body of Christ, I mean the way, I mean the church. Where would Saul have been without Ananias? Where would Saul have been without Barnabas? Two guys who ultimately ended up standing up for Saul, right? Admittedly, Ananias is like, I don't want to do it, but he did. And he called him a brother and he helped cure him of his blindness through the power of the Holy Spirit. Barnabas took him to the disciples, told them his story. How did he know the story? He listened to Saul. Saul and Ananias, I mean, Ananias and Barnabas were encouragers. They encouraged Saul. Who has encouraged you in your walk with Christ? Who has encouraged you in your life? Be grateful for them. And who might you be able to encourage in their life? Who needs someone to stand up for them? Who needs someone to advocate for them in your life right now? Right? Who could you be an Ananias or a Barnabas for? Right? I think that's a powerful opportunity that we have. Right? And then finally, conversion is individual but not individualistic. Right? What I mean by that is we have a personal conversion. We give our lives to Jesus one-on-one, -on -one, but it doesn't stop there with us. Once we've been converted, we're just like Saul. We now are commissioned to go out and share the gospel, right? Once we've received Jesus individually, our commission, our mission, every follower of the way, every follower of Jesus is to introduce people to Jesus. Right? This is Jesus. And we do that through our stories, through our words, through our actions, inviting them to church. Right? If you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a follower of the way, right, how are you introducing people to Jesus in your life. You don't need to go to college. You don't need to have a seminary degree. You don't need to be ordained. This is the gift. We just talk to people and we show them Jesus in the way that we live our lives. What have you been commissioned to do to tell people about Jesus, to introduce people to Jesus? Right. So we learn a lot from Saul today. What's the big deal? What's the big idea? So what's the takeaway, the big, the big point? That's what I think it is, right? Transformation is the way. We talk about the way of Jesus, the way of the early church. Transformation is the way. God meets us where we are and helps us become who we were created to be. God meets us where we are and helps us become who we were created to be. 
right? We all have good inside of us because we're created in God's image. We all also do wrong things and we hurt ourselves and we hurt other people and that brings guilt and shame into our lives. That means we'll die one day and we experience hell, which means broken relationships. And Jesus said, that's not the way I want it. And so he died on the cross to defeat all that junk and he came back to life so that we can be forgiven and have joy and peace and life to the full, right? Transformation is the way. It's one of the core values of our church. God meets us where we are, says, I love you very much, and helps us become who we were created to be. We were created to be in God's image, right? Transformation is the way. So I want to invite you to think about a few action steps, something that we can do to respond to this, right, in the coming days, right? want to go through this. Uh, one is conversion, Right? God made the first move, surrender to Jesus. If you've not yet surrendered to Jesus, today's a great day. Say, God, I'm tired of living without you. I want to turn away from that life. I want to turn to you. Come and forgive me and live in me. Be converted. Follow Jesus. Commissioned. Introduce people to Jesus. Be an encourager. Right? If we follow Jesus, we're part of the way. How are you introducing people to Jesus? With your words, with your actions. How are you encouraging people? Building people up in the name of Christ. And know that suffering is part of the way. I wish it wasn't. I don't like it. It's not the most important part of the way. It's not the overwhelming part of the way. But if we follow Jesus, we will suffer for God. Now, that doesn't mean that God's dropping a rock on your car or that if you have cancer, that that's because you're a follower of Jesus. No, that's not what it means. But when we're doing God's work, we will find resistance in the world. Some of it will be social pressure and some of it will be you could lose your life. Right? If you're suffering for Jesus, you're not alone. You haven't done anything wrong. Probably means you're on the right path. You're standing up for Christ in your life. Stay strong. Stay strong if you're suffering for Jesus. You are not alone. And finally, ongoing, right? Continue to grow with the Holy Spirit. Saul wasn't perfect. Paul wasn't perfect. Still had some sin in their life. But the Holy Spirit was with them and and, and walked with Saul, walked with Paul, right? The Holy Spirit's with us. We're not perfect yet, right? God's with us. We're gonna make mistakes as followers of Jesus and that's okay. But the Holy Spirit will help us become more like Christ throughout our lives. Transformation is the way. So we started out our conversation today saying, is it possible for people to change? Is it possible for you to change? Is it possible for me to change? Is it possible for the United States to change, the Soviet Union to change, right, in that Rocky movie? I think the answer in the book of Acts, in the way, is that it's possible for change because God changes people. God changes people. If we are open to God, God changes people. So if there's someone in your life that you're worried about, if you're concerned about, don't stop praying for them. Don't stop talking about Jesus. Don't stop encouraging them, right? They're not too far gone. The world might give up on them, but don't you give up on them, right? If God can change Saul, God can change anyone. And maybe the person that you're most concerned about not changing is you. You think, I'm never gonna be good enough. I'm not gonna be a person who can follow Jesus. You don't know my background, Pastor Kyle. I've done all these horrible, terrible things. And I'm not here to dispute what your background is, but I know that Jesus loves you anyway and sees you as a child of God and is ready to give you a life that is full. You're not too far from God. It's not too late for God to change you into the person that you were created to be. If God can change Saul, 
God can change you. God can change me. God can change anybody. So don't give up on anybody. Transformation is the way. Be transformed by the Holy Spirit. Amen.